Hey guys, it's Michael Miller. We are concluding our Maranatha series. We're looking at the new covenant, Jeremiah 30, 31. Um, We're going to look at a ton of scripture. And my hope is that some of the bigger pieces of the coming move of God, specifically with the Jews, will make sense. Um, We are talking all about it. So uh, buckle up, get ready. Love you. Thanks for tuning in. Okay, put your hand on your heart. Uh, Lord, we are here for you, and uh, we know that you're here. And when you come, Lord, you're ready to reveal yourself. Uh, And so, Holy Spirit, would you reveal Jesus? Would you just remove scales, Lord? Would you give us a a perspective of the hour that we live in? Lord, I just pull on Daniel 12.3 that it says, In the last days, Lord, knowledge and understanding will increase. And I believe that's happening in this room, Lord, that you're taking us deeper into your heart, deeper into understanding. Father, just remove the veil. I pray even tonight for supernatural downloads, God, as I'm speaking, that this would transfer from words into spiritual truths that would impact hearts, God. I believe there's some in this room that are gonna be called to the mission field out of messages like this, Jesus. You're shaking all that can be shaken in this hour, and your word promises that. Your word promises that things will shake in the days ahead, that great darkness will cover the people, but your light will arise, Lord, and pierce through the darkness. And I believe you're giving us handles, Lord, to lay hold of the times and seasons that we live in. So may we be like the sons of Issachar that not only know the times, but know what to do in the midst of the times, Lord. Raise up prophets out of this room. Raise up proclaimers. Raise up leaders. Raise up, Lord, in time leaders out of this room. In the name of Jesus, I'm grateful for worship. I'm grateful for, Lord, these experiences and encounters. But may they be unto callings. May they be unto people being released, Lord. The image that I had tonight, I felt like the Lord is just pulling some of you back like in a slingshot and you are one of his stones and you're gonna be released out of his sling to confront the mindset of this hour, of this age. He is going to use you. You are qualified because he lives in you. And so I just declare, Jesus, tonight is a night of purpose. Tonight is a night of destiny and calling. Father, for those that are in this room, it's not by coincidence that you're here. So Lord, we just want to hearken. We want to come alive. We want to come and be aware, Lord, and present, Father, that anything can happen when we crack open your scriptures. And so come and do what only you can. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen and amen and amen and amen. Um, all right. So, so here's the deal. Tonight, I am a uh, I'm going to conclude a series that we've been doing for some time. We took a three-week break, which is pretty typical of Upper Room in the midst of series. Uh, but we're going to push play on this series, and I'm going to unload my gun uh, in regards to the new covenant. So we've been walking through the various covenants um, in the Old Testament. And we're going to get to the new covenant tonight, which is the covenant that most of you are familiar with. But I don't know if you've heard it in this context. Um, everything we've looked at. Uh, is unto something that is still yet to be fulfilled. It's the Maranatha Christ. Someone got me this t-shirt. I was so excited about it. Maranatha, it is what is to come. Uh, and so I want to do a little bit of review. Um, this message tonight has a disclaimer. And the disclaimer is this. Uh, I used this analogy this morning and it seemed to work. Uh, I, at our last home, we had a pool in the back and my two girls knew how to swim in the pool and they would go anywhere. But my boys, although they knew how to swim, they were frightened of the deep end. And so they would only stay, you know, about ankle deep, knee deep. And anytime 
I would even take them on my back into the deep end. They'd get a little scared. And so one day mom was gone and it was just me and the boys swimming. And so I did what every good father should do. I just chunked them in the deep end. And uh, I knew they would be fine. And I knew, I actually knew they could swim. And like fish, they went in and just popped up and swam to the side and their eyes were brightened. And then they hopped up, jumped around and they kept jumping off the rock into the deep end. And it was like, I knew you could do it. You just needed a little push. And, uh, and so I feel like tonight in many ways, I am just gonna take you and throw you in the deep end. Um, and so some of it may fly over your head. You may get 10% of this message and I'm okay with that. I'm aware of that. I know that's not typically how teachers teach and, and we know we want it. how's it practical? Well, I'm gonna trust the Holy Spirit to make it practical to you and I'm gonna trust that the Holy Spirit is gonna ignite a hunger for these truths and that you'll go on a personal journey with scripture. That don't just trust me for what I say tonight. I'm gonna say some things that are gonna be fairly outlandish. They're gonna be like fairly out of left field, but I want you to know that the Bible says a lot of outlandish things, especially about what's ahead. And there is a lack of knowledge around uh, the days that we're living in and the days that are coming. And I feel like as your pastor, I wanna equip you for what's ahead. Uh, I want you to be bought into the biblical narrative so you don't get deceived by the cultural one. And there's a lot of deception right now, truth, truth, you know, deception isn't like the devil with a pitchfork. Um, you know, he, he, he masquerades as an angel of light. And typically it's a slither of truth that it's like a half truth that leads into the land of deception. And it's pretty prevalent right now. It's pretty prevalent with 60 second messages that were influenced by these voices and people. And man, if our theology is coming from TikTok, if our theology is coming from Instagram, we are going to be in trouble. Uh, I'm grateful for some of that. I'm grateful for some of the hits and some of the guys proclaiming that. We've got a bunch in, the, in, our, in, our, in our community, but this is vital for you to know in the days ahead. And you don't need a secondhand relationship with it. You need a firsthand relationship with it. And so as I punt us into the deep end, throw us into the deep end, I'm believing one of two things. Either you're gonna learn to swim tonight or supernaturally there's gonna be floaties. <laughs> you're just gonna float and enjoy the water. Everything's gonna be all right. You may hear a word or two that's encouraging, but I think for some of you, you're gonna go on a journey and you're gonna discover a part of your calling in the hour ahead. Because I've been saying this for a while. When I stand, I said it at CFNI. I say it to our students all the time. But I believe there's Gen Zers and millennial, millennial, Millennials um, that are going to be martyred for the gospel. Yeah, that, that's... I typically, when I hear that, I don't start cheering. But I bless you who are. I'm saying it with the fear of the Lord in my heart. Because it's... <laughs> It's going to be a supernatural generation. And like Western cultural Christianity isn't gonna sustain you. A two hour service on Sunday night's not gonna sustain you. You need a daily, you need an hourly, you need an ever present relationship with the Lord. And some of you are in the midst of a fire. You're being refined, you're being pruned, you're being stripped, you're being buried. And I just wanna encourage you to go through the process. There's always a process to the promise. There's always a process to the promise. And the process is so not fun. I spiritually, for the longest time, hated that word, process. I mean, we're charismatics. We love the boom, you know, like, <laughs> like the and suddenlies, the and suddenlies. But your faith, I, it's oftentimes through faith and patience. It's through perseverance. It's through endurance 
that he matures us. And I, I don't want, I love your zeal. It's awesome. I applaud it. Every time I'm in here, I sense your hunger and your zeal. But my confidence is in his zeal for you. And your ability to mature in that zeal, your ability to mature in his love and his desire and his faithfulness, it just takes time. It takes time. And if you're 20-something, guess what? You're in the process. If you're 20-something, you haven't arrived. You're in a process. And so give yourself grace. Give your peers grace. Give the upper room grace. For people that are singing you know, songs and their lives aren't fully living up to it, we give them grace. Your 20s can be bloody and muddy sometimes. And if that's you, you're in the right place. No one in this room, including me, has arrived. And so just give yourself grace, give, give yourself grace, but, but, but allow grace to do its work. And grace is Christ being matured and formed inside of you. The prayer room, it, it is, I mean, I know that I'm pastoring this place, but I, I think it's for a 20 something, oh man, what an asset to have at your uh, disposal to come here daily, to come here regularly and to grow in the knowledge of the Lord. Bury yourself in a prayer room and watch what God does. It's just so, so crucial. So, um, so tonight we're gonna look at the new covenant. And I've been saying this almost every week, uh, the skeletal system of the scriptures. If, if you know, this, this is a person, if it is, the skeletal structure for the biblical narrative is covenants. God, God establishes covenants with people. And relationship with God always is preceded by terms. And, and really, it's to protect us <laughs> because he's holy. And, and it's been that way since, since the beginning. The, the first covenant was uh, the Edemic covenant. But we're going to look through and review. But tonight, we're going to talk about the new covenant. I love whoever did this. Did Eric, is he in the room? Eric drew this. He's awesome. Anyways, kudos, buddy. Thank you. Um, so week one, we did the, the redemptive covenant. I really want you to get your phones out and take notes again. Uh, you can just continue. If you've been coming for any length of time, I've asked you to do that throughout this series. But week one, we did uh, the redemptive covenant. It's also called the covenant of redemption. And it was a covenant that God made with God. Before anything existed, God made an agreement with himself. The triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, uh, were, I mean... It's deeper than a contract, but the best way to translate into modern, modern culture is it was a contract that God had with God. Like they, they initiated an agreement where God the Father initiated this plan. God the Son executed the plan by becoming a man and God the Spirit administered the plan. But the plan is called the plan of redemption. Now, we know and we boast in the finished work of the cross. Amen? The work of salvation has been finished. Everyone say the work of salvation has been finished. When Jesus is hanging on the cross and he takes his last breath, his final words were, it is finished. What is finished? The work of salvation. But the work of salvation was unto the plan of redemption. And the plan of redemption tonight is not finished. So while I boast in what he's done, I'm now going to partner and co-labor co with him in his unveiling plan being fulfilled in my generation. 
And that's what you're invited into. And so we grow an understanding around the plan of redemption, not only for us personally, like we've preached a very personal, like Depeche Mode 1987, personal Jesus, right? Oh, that's outdates you. I just outdated y'all. I'm a Gen Xer, so Depeche Mode, first concert I went to anyways, personal Jesus was a song that they sang and we've preached a very personal Jesus. And, and I love that. I mean, he is very personal. He's very personal. He's very much in love with you. But he drafts you into a plan that is so much bigger than you. (laughs) It's actually not about you. (laughs) And that's good news. That's great news. It's great news. It's the best news. But we grow an understanding about his plan and his purposes and we get drafted into them. And that's this covenant of redemption. So God's heart tonight is to redeem. Through his son, he's going to reconcile all things. And so I I want you to see uh, a little glimpse. Now, I mean, we're just like a drop in the ocean in regards to how that plan of redemption is gonna play out with the new covenant. But we're gonna look at at two chapters, well, three chapters primarily in the Old Testament that are the first mentions of this phrase, new covenant. So, and it's all centered around the plan of redemption. So week two, uh, we did the Edemic covenant. Just very, very quickly, um, God made covenant with Adam and said, I'll be in relationship with you. Here's the stipulation. One thing, don't eat from the tree. It's a covenant of works. Uh, We know how that went, not well. Uh, covenant was broken, but as he's cursing the serpent, you see the plan of redemption through Genesis 3.15. Genesis 3.15 is a crucial scripture because it would be like where the threat of redemption comes in through the curse. So he's cursing the serpent, cursing the man, cursing Eve, but he said, there's a seed that's gonna come through her that's gonna crush your head. (laughs) A fatal blow to his enemy. And this plan of redemption ensues. You have the Noahic covenant, which we didn't spend a ton of time, but after the Noahic covenant, you go into uh, the Abrahamic covenant. The Abrahamic covenant was centered around three promises. It was a land, a nation, and then, and then through that one nation, all the nations would be blessed. Those that bless this, this nation and this people will be blessed. Those that curse this nation and curse these people will be cursed. This is Genesis 12, 15, 17. Really important to understand this covenant. It was an unconditional covenant. It was based on grace. It was not based on Abraham's ability to do anything. It was a sovereign choice that God made when he chose Abraham. And he said, through you, I'm gonna bring a line. That's why you hear all the time, uh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's, 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 this, it's this covenant being passed down in their lineage. Now, Jacob would become who? He would change his name to Israel because Israel would be that chosen people. And, but it started and was initiated uh, through one man and his name was Abraham. Abram to Abraham. So that, that, all these are online. I really encourage you to, to, to go back and just soak these things in. Uh, the next one was the Mosaic covenant. Covenant he made with Moses. Uh, the uh, Jacob who became Israel, the 12 tribes, he had 12 sons. Um, and we know Joseph ends up in Egypt. The brothers end up reconciling with Joseph in Egypt. They, 
you know, multiply, they're prosperous. And then another uh, leader arises and he forgets Joseph. He forgets the Israelites and they become Egyptian slaves. Moses comes forth as a deliverer. He's a, a, a prototype of Christ. We're going to talk about Christ as the deliverer in the future. Um, but Moses shows up to Pharaoh, says, let my people go so that they may come to a mountain and what? Worship me. But we looked at, it wasn't just a worship service. They weren't just having an upper room, like prophetic dance party. All right. That, that worship is that, is that God was calling these people to come to Mount Sinai so that he can marry them. And we walk through the components of the marriage ceremony and that the Ten Commandments weren't this like law of him going, you better do this. It was a wedding certificate defining the relationship. That's why the first one was, you cannot have any other what? That's like me telling my wife, I'm sorry, but I'm going to be your only husband. Like... That's like marriage 101. Well, God is writing out a marriage certificate to the Jewish people, to that nation that we talked about. And he's like, I'm going to be a husband to you. Him delivering them with the plagues was him flexing, going, not only will I defeat your enemy, but I'm going to do it in such a glorious way that you're going to see that I am your defender. I am the one. I mean, he is a suitor in pursuit of a bride and he's wooing them through him jacking with Pharaoh. Right. And so not only does he show himself as delivery, then shows himself as provider. So protector provider, he gives them manna, he gives them quail. He provides a canopy over them in the wilderness. It is God saying, I'm sufficient to provide for you. I'll protect you. I'll provide for you. Now, the problem is that we as people are fickle, right? We need to see ourselves in their story because they can't even make it through the wedding ceremony. While Moses is getting the marriage certificate, they're cheating with the Lord at the wedding ceremony, man. They didn't make it very far. It just proves that, uh, it just proves that there, there needed to be a greater covenant. And, and we're going to talk about the greater covenant tonight, which is the new one. Uh, but after the Mosaic covenant, one of my favorites is the Davidic covenant. Massive scripture for you, especially if you're young Bible students. Second Samuel or as I like to call him, Sammy. Second Samuel chapter seven, it's the Davidic dynasty and it's threefold, a throne, a house and a kingdom. He promises David that. Again, this is covenant that he makes with a man after his own heart and he makes covenant with a king. It's basically, Saul was the first king, but this is God's choice as king. Saul was the people's choice, what the people would desire, but this was a man after God's own heart. And it provoked God. David's pursuit of God provoked him. Psalm 78 talks about that. Uh, Psalms 132, I could just, I'm not going to preach the Davidic covenant, but I could. It comes so alive when you start to understand what provoked God's affections when he looked at David. Just, just, it's worth a study. So 2 Samuel 7 uh, is that covenant. And then Jesus in Revelation 22, Jesus is called the root of David. So what's a root? A root comes before the fruit. A root comes before the stump. So David comes forth, you know, 
onto the scene, but the Bible tells us that his life was undergirded in Jesus, that Jesus was the root of David, but then it also tells us in the same verse that the root of David was a descendant of David. (laughs) Emoji, mind blow. So why? Because Jesus, Jesus would sit on the throne of David. Jesus would come and preach a what? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. He would preach the gospel of the kingdom. Now they were looking for a political kingdom, but Jesus was thinking on such a broader level. But that's a fulfillment of the Davidic kingdom. Amos 9:11 is in there. And so tonight, I'm gonna hammer you with the new covenant. All right? And it's the Maranatha cry in the context of uh, the new covenant. Now, the first time the word new covenant is found in the Bible, like the first time it presents itself and shows up on the scene is in the book of Jeremiah. Now, I wanna give you, uh, can you, can you throw up that timeline for me real quick? Just take notes for me, okay? You can take pictures. Again, I'm gonna give you way more than you know. But this is just, this is just kind of a quick, a quick outline. Some of you are like, some of y'all are smiling, you know, like you're, you're like way smiling and some of you look horrified right now. Like, am I back in high school? Yes, you are. Um, so, hey, we just talked about David. So Saul... David, then you have Solomon. After Solomon, the kingdom was split. You had Israel up north, that's the northern kingdom, and then you had the southern kingdom. Northern, southern. Uh, Up top, the northern territory was 10 tribes. You may hear this phrase, the 10 lost tribes. That's the 10 lost tribes up top. They would go into Assyrian captivity around 716. Uh, Judah down low, Judah down low was made up of Judah and I believe the tribe of Benjamin. It was two tribes. And uh, here's the prophets that I want you to see. I want you to see Isaiah. So we're gonna, talk, we're gonna end with Isaiah. Uh, but the main prophet we're gonna talk about tonight is this prophet right here, Jeremiah. Jeremiah and Ezekiel. All three of those mention new covenant. All three of them talk about the intricacies of the new covenant. Some of the minor prophets do as well. But the three big boys, Ezekiel, Isaiah, and Jeremiah, talk about the new covenant. They talk and prophesy about a new covenant that God will make with his people. So let's look at Jeremiah, the bald one, down on the right. This is before, so the northern territory would go into Assyrian captivity and then the southern, uh, the southern group, Judah, would go into Babylonian captivity. And Jeremiah preceded the captivity. He preceded and he's prophesying, hey, this is going to happen. And chapters one through 29 are them, him describing the mess that is the nation of Israel. I mean, you do not just want to casually open up the book of Jeremiah, say around like chapter 25, all right? Um, it's judgment. It's, it's an impending, it's impending captivity. And so, uh, but chapter 30, things change. And you can find all this online. I just Googled it. Like truly. I need to give credit to whoever it is, but there's all kinds of graphs like this on there. Uh, So Jeremiah chapter 30, this is the first 
this is the beginnings of good news. If you're with me, say amen. Okay, Jeremiah 30. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, write all the words which I have spoken to you in a book. For behold, days are coming, future days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will restore. This is redeem, a plan of restoration, the fortunes of my people, Israel and Judah. So he's prophesying that these two separated nations, these two, actually these two separated kingdoms that are now under different nations' captivity, there's a time when I'm gonna restore their fortunes. And I will bring them back to the what? Land that I gave to their forefathers, they shall possess it. What covenant does this remind us of? The Abrahamic covenant. Remember land, nation, nations being blessed. So he's upholding his promise to Abraham saying, hey, I'm going to restore Judah and Israel and I'm gonna bring them back into a land that they will occupy. Now it's worth mentioning in uh, verse two here, 30 verse two, um, this gives us context for the book of Jeremiah, but in, in Jeremiah 30 verse two, he's called the God of Israel. So in scripture, this is used 199 times. It is used 49 times in the book of Jeremiah. So it's 25% of this description of God in the Bible is used in the book of Jeremiah because this is a theme. He is displaying himself as the God of the Jewish people, the God of Israel. Why, why am I mentioning that? The reason I'm mentioning that is because there is a demonic theology called replacement theology, where when we read Israel, we have inserted the church. Israel and the church are two separate things. And I, I'm, gonna, I'm gonna give you like the home run verse here in just a second at the end of 31. I'm gonna give you like, I'm not just saying that because... I have deep conviction about it. And I'll show you where that is. After he mentions new covenant, I'm gonna show you like the verse of verse as to God's view of these people. And, and also why it's important is because in the days ahead, uh, the nation of Israel, but specifically the city of Jerusalem will be the epicenter for the end times. It will be the epicenter for geopolitical conflict. And if we're not rooted in this, the Bible tells us that there's great tribulation coming to Jacob or coming to Israel. And we, as God's people, need to stand with our Jewish brothers, no matter what comes. And we need God's heart for it. I'm not saying this as an American. I'm not saying this as a, I'm saying this as a Bible-believing, God-fearing pastor. I, I wanna uphold this to you. And I've talked about this at length, especially in, when our nation blesses Israel, we're blessed. When our nation curses Israel, things happen in our nation. And we have a very, very anti-Israel administration right now. Legislation that they're passing, it's not good. And we need to pray. We need to pray. We need to pray. So, um, but, but again, don't take my word for it. Take the Bible's word for it. So let's, let's go in a little deeper here. Um, 
Now, these are the words which the Lord spoke concerning Israel and concerning Judah. So those two territories, those two, two separate northern, southern tribes, he's going to bring them back together. But, but he says this, he says, For thus says the Lord, I've heard a sound of terror, of dread, and there is no peace. Ask now and see. If a male can give birth, why do I see every man with hands on his loins as a woman is in childbirth? This is talking about uh, great tribulation that's happening to Israel. And look in verse seven. This is a, this is a very key scripture in, in this pericope, in this section of text. It says, alas, for that day is great. There is none like it. And it is the time of Jacob's distress but he will be saved from it. So this phrase, Jacob's distress, this is where we're gonna get into the deep end a little bit, but Jacob's distress, Jacob, sorry. Is that how you spell it? Sorry, they shouldn't give me this board. So Jacob's distress is also known as Jacob's trouble. And oftentimes in prophetic literature, like the book of Jeremiah, there is near and far translations. So there is something happening very up close and real to them, but there's also a far or a later interpretation of what's being prophesied. And this is one of those things. This is actually speaking of the tribulation. It's speaking of uh, the day of trouble, the tribulation or great tribulation that is to come that will be centered upon Israel. Daniel chapter 12, verse one, end time text, entire book of Daniel or the last half of Daniel, um, lots of significant revelation. But look at Daniel 12, one compared to Jeremiah 37. Watch this, Daniel 12, verse one. Now at that time, Michael, who's encountering Daniel, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will arise. And there will be a time of what? Distress. This is Jeremiah 37, a time of trouble such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book will be rescued. It's prophesying of a coming tribulation, a coming shaking. Matthew 24 points to this. Zechariah 12 and 14 point to this. You can write down all these scriptures. Please go study them. But the, the distress found um, in Jeremiah 30. So again, this is near and far, but I wanna, I wanna show you, um, I love this board. Uh, 30 and 31, um, up until when it's prophesied about the new covenant, there's things happening um, in the narrative. And I'll, I'll, I'll show you this. Uh, there's six things I wanna point out. <clears throat> One is that they weren't in the land. Now, we just read that they would, what, possess the land. So he would take them into the land. But this was the problem. Two, they were in bondage. Jeremiah 30, verse three, Jeremiah 30, verse eight. And he promises freedom from oppressors. 
keep following me. Number three, they had an incurable wound. And he promises healing. Both spirit healing and soul healing. This is 30 verse 17. Number four, there were no feasts. Remember how we just talked about the Passover? There were no celebrations. Those were silent. But he promises celebrations. He promises sounds of joy and worship will return to the land. Number five, two more. Uh, There were no vines. He promised restoration of vines, which is basically the vineyards and cities would be rebuilt. And then the last one, which I'm gonna focus on for just a little bit, is that they would be scattered. And here's what he promises. He promises Aliyah or the return. And we're going to look at this. It's 31, 7 through 8. So these are just things that I want you to take with you um, and study. But but let's let's look at one of them in chapter 31, verse 7. 31, 7. It says, For thus says the Lord, Sing aloud with gladness for Jacob, and shout among the chief of the nations, Proclaim, give praise, and say, O Lord, save your people, the remnant of Israel. Behold, I am bringing them from the north country, and I will gather them from the remote parts of the earth. Among them, the blind and the lame, the woman with child, and she who is in labor with child together, a great company. They will return here. Where's here? Here is the land. With weeping, they will come, and I, by supplication, I will lead them. I will make them walk by streams of water, straight paths in which they will not stumble. For I am a father to Israel, and Ephraim is my firstborn. The prodigal will return home. That's Ephraim right there. There's all these I wills, and these are the I wills that the Lord is going to do. He's going to restore them to their land. He's going to restore their freedom. He's going to heal them. Celebrations will come. Vineyards, cities will be rebuilt. And then specifically, the scattered will return back. Now, do you remember I said there's near and interpretations and far interpretations. Okay. Something significant happened. May 14th, 1948. Uh, Isaiah 66 asks a question. It says, can a nation be born in a day? May 14th, 1948, a nation was born in a day and that nation was Israel. Israel had not been a nation since 70 AD. It was over 1800 years. They had not been a nation. And May 14th, 1948, in the land of Israel, there were about 800,000 Jewish people living in the Holy Land. It is 2022. Tonight, there are over 9 million people that live in the nation of Israel. So Jeremiah 31, 7 and 8 is actually being fulfilled tonight because Jews are moving back to the land. They call it Aliyah, which means the return. I encourage Jewish people to pray if that's your homeland to to return. It's actually fulfilling biblical prophecy. 
I, I love this, this story. Um, in, in verse eight, it talks about the woman with child and she who is in labor with child together. So in 1991, uh, there was an initiative by the Israeli government. It was a covert operation because of what was happening in Ethiopia. And in Ethiopia, actually in Africa, there's a lot of uh, Jews in Africa there's African Jews. Uh, Solomon's responsible for that uh, with the queen of Sheba. Queen of Sheba, uh, they most likely had descendants and there are Jewish Africans. And so there was a political uprising happening in uh, Ethiopia in 1991. And so there was a covert operation called Operation Solomon. You can Google this. You can read about it on Wikipedia. And um, they had 35 C-130s, which are large military planes. And they transported from Ethiopia, they transported just under 15,000 Ethiopian Jews from Ethiopia to Israel. In fact, one of the planes had over a thousand people in it. It's uh, to date, World Guinness, uh, the Guinness Book of World Records, most people ever transported on a plane. But here's a fascinating prophecy that was fulfilled is that on those planes, again, moving 15,000 people, 1991, quite quite the ordeal, but there were eight babies born on planes. The woman with child and she who is in labor with child together, what? Going back to the land. It, it happened. There's a quote from Walter Kaiser who is a theologian, he speaks to this. Um, there's a lot of great men of God have been restorationist, which is the theology that I'm presenting to you. Jonathan Edwards, um, Isaac Newton, but w Walter Kaiser was one of them. Do you have that quote? Um, and, and he's talking about what I'm talking about. He says, look, it's already too late to argue uh, about replacement theology is what he's talking about, about the covenant that God has made with the Jews because there are already 6 million Jewish people back in the land. Now, this was several years ago. So if you're going to argue that the land doesn't belong to them, you've got to erase 6 million people that are back in the land, which you cannot do. So it's time to shape up the theology in connection with what reality shows. Um, so we have to pay attention to this. This is one of the Lord's great thunderclaps. It's almost as if he's prophesying to the nations and saying, I have not abandoned or forgotten my covenants with this people or with this land, so pay heed to it. Jonathan Edwards has awesome stuff. Isaac Newton um, has awesome stuff. Like, uh, and these, a lot of these guys um, were prophesying this before Israel actually became a nation. Emoji, head blown if they knew that it actually had come to pass, but we're living in that day, today. It is a significant thing. And so later on in this, uh, this text, get to the, the part where he talks about the new covenant. Um, that is found in 31, uh, verse 31. Chapter 31, verse 31. This is the first mention of the new covenant. He says, behold, days are coming in the future when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Who is this covenant with? The house of Judah and the house of Israel. Okay, 
He's talking about a new covenant with these people. Not like the covenant which I made with their fathers the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant which they broke, although I was a husband to them. Uh, Warren Wearsby, who's a a commentary that I like, theologian, he said the former covenant was to control their conduct, but the new covenant is to change their character. It's to change them from the inside out. And you see that right here. It says, but this is the covenant which I will make with the house of Israel after those days. Those are really three important words. After those days, we've got to understand what days he's talking about, declares the Lord, I will put my law within them and on their heart, I will write it and I will be their God and they shall be my people. They will not teach again, each man, his neighbor and each man, his brother saying, know the Lord for they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He's speaking about the Jewish people. Now, have we been grafted in? Yes, we're gonna look at Gentiles, how we fit into this. But this is speaking to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. Now, now the reason I wanna show you this is because of the hour that we're in and how quickly things are escalating. I'm going on sabbatical for a season. I don't know what's gonna happen in three months, but I don't wanna look at you and say, I didn't tell you. Because there's a lot happening geopolitically. There's a lot that's shaking. I am. (laughs) But he is saying that they will know me. All of them will know me. And he says, after these days, I believe after these days is connected to Jacob's trouble or Jacob's distress. I believe there's going to be great, uh, you know, the Bible says it's a great, terrible day of the Lord. The darkness will arise, but the light will arise upon the darkness. Like I think that the shakings are going to, to shake all. Um, but but this, this is such a beautiful prophecy that they will all know me. They will all know me. And I believe it's prophesying that they will all know Yeshua, that they will all know Jesus. This covenant is the same covenant, the same way you're born again, the same way we're in relationship with God, they're in relationship with God. No one circumvents that. It's just the revelation of the Lord. Who is the Lord? His name is Jesus. So look at this. Keep going. This is, this, these next three verses, 35, 36, 37, are kind of the silver bullet for me when it comes to this replacement theology idea. Thus says the Lord, who gives the sun for light by day and the fixed order of the moon and the stars for light by night, who stirs up the sea so that it never roars. The Lord of hosts is his name. If this fixed order departs, what fixed order? The fixed order of the moon, the stars, the sun, the heavenly host, the waves. If this fixed order departs from me, declares the Lord, then the offspring of Israel also will cease. That's strong language. Look at this next one. The offspring of Israel will cease from being a nation before me forever. Thus says the Lord, if the heavens above can be measured, the third heaven, second heaven, first heaven, and the foundation, the depths of the earth can be searched out below, then I will also cast off all the offspring of Israel. He's saying it won't happen.
And then he prophesies of the new Jerusalem, which I believe is a millennial kingdom that is to come for all that they have done, declares the Lord. Behold, the days are coming. Again, he's speaking of a forthcoming day. Declares the Lord when the city will be rebuilt for the Lord from the tower of Hannibal to the corner date. Who will be rebuilt for it? It'll be built for the Lord. The measuring line will go uh, out further straight ahead of Gareb. It'll go to Goa, the whole valley of dead bodies and the ashes and all the fields, as far as the brook of Kidron to the corners of the horse gate towards the east shall be holy to the Lord. It will not be plucked or overthrown anymore forever. He's prophesying of, I believe, the millennial reign, Jesus living in Jerusalem. So um, I, I think there's time indicators. So I just want everyone to say time indicators. Uh, I, I, I mentioned like, behold, the days are coming. That's in verse 31. Again, we read in this, behold, the days are coming, verse 38. And then I wanted to point out though, after those days, and I mentioned that verse in verse 33 of Jeremiah 31, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I believe after those days are in the coming days. And I wanna show you how that fits. So everyone just say, I'm with you, follow me, hang on, buckle up, go to Romans chapter 11. I, I'm, again, we're looking at timing indicators here because I think these are future events that are to happen. So this is Paul and he's talking about Gentiles relationship with the Jewish people that we've been grafted in. Again, I told you we're in the deep end. Swim to the side if you need help. Verse 22, this is, uh, we're gonna start in Romans chapter nine. Romans nine. I wanna show you two time indicators here. Romans 9, 22. What if God, although willing to demonstrate his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? That's Gentiles. He endured with much patience And he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy. So we who were vessels of wrath became vessels of mercy, prepared, uh, which he prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he also called, not from among Jews only, but also from among Gentiles. And he quotes Hosea. I will call those who are not my people, what? My people. That's us. Yes, come on. I will call her who was not my beloved, my what? Beloved. And it shall be in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, that they shall be called sons of the living God. He's speaking about foreigners. He's speaking about non-Jewish people being in covenant with the God of Israel. Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. So he's been talking about Gentiles, but now he's gonna address Israel. And he says this, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel. Though the number of the sons of Israel be like the sand of the sea, it is the remnant that will be saved. Everyone say remnant. It is the remnant that will be saved. So Romans chapter nine talks about a remnant. Oh, I hate this word. Rem. Is that wrong? You said ant. I just listened to you. (laughs) 
Rim, they're the rim. The remnant, all right, get off me. I'm in the deep end, I'm drowning and you guys are making fun of my writing. Uh, okay, so. guys are, y'all are cruel. That is cruel. So remnant, how many Jews did I say live in Israel tonight? Nine million. Do you know how many are saved? That's because you were here this morning. 1%. I would say that's a remnant. Would that be a remnant? That's the hour that we're in. But it's not to say that Man, do we need to proclaim the gospel to all? Yes, for sure. But there's a promise outstanding. And Paul's gonna talk about that in Romans 11. So Romans 9, 10, 11, awesome chapters to dig into. Uh, but in verse 11 of chapter 11, Moses actually prophesied this would happen, that, that the Gentiles would make the Jews jealous. And Paul says that in Romans 11, 11, he says, I say they did not stumble, so to fall did they, may it never be, but by their transgression, salvation has come to the Gentiles to make them jealous. So there's this thing that the Lord is doing to provoke the Jews to jealousy through the freedom that we have in Jesus. Now, it's gonna culminate, because he, he talks about us not being arrogant towards the Jews. He talks about us being humble towards them for we've been grafted into their story. God's going to have mercy upon those people. This is his first wife. He married to him. But he prophesies something. Look in verse 25. He says, for I do not want you brethren to be uninformed of this mystery. So everything I'm talking about is a mystery. So that you will not be wise in your own estimation that a partial hardening has happened to who? Israel until. Now I wanna do a series in the future called until because there's some significant untils that are yet to happen but they're timing indicators for the days ahead. There's some untils. There's just some untils. They're gonna be like tipping points in the spirit that we need to be mindful of. One of them is the fullness of times in Gentile. Uh, the fullness of times has come in for the Gentiles. So verse 26, when that time comes, the fullness of time for the Gentiles, look at this. It says, and so all Israel will be saved. So we went in Romans chapter nine from a remnant to Romans chapter 11. That's a corporate collective salvation. This is the Bible saying there's a remnant that will be saved, but there's coming a moment, fullness of Gentiles come, all corporate Israel will be saved. And then he quotes a scripture. Now this is really important. Paul didn't just randomly do the, you know, scripture roulette and just find this scripture. He knew exactly what he was doing. He took an exacto knife from the Jewish text and he cut out a section of Isaiah 59. Now, Isaiah 59 may mean nothing to you, but for rabbis and those that know the Old Testament, rab, uh, Isaiah 59 is a messianic promise. It's what they're waiting for tonight. 
They're waiting for a Messiah. They're waiting for that Davidic covenant promise to be fulfilled. And Paul takes this and, and he inserts it right here in Romans eleven twenty six. 26. It says, the deliverer will come from Zion. He will remove ungodliness from Jacob. This is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. That sounds just like Jeremiah chapter 31. I just read you that new covenant. Paul is pulling this out and he's prophesying of a future moment in time when a deliverer will come to Zion and move the sin. So let's read Isaiah 59. Would it be worth just visiting for a moment? And then I'm going to wrap this up. I know we've gone a ways. Isaiah 59. Isaiah was before Jeremiah. But Isaiah 59, just follow me and get ready for your hair to be set on fire. This is messianic. It's messianic in, in, in their... And their, and their understanding, but I also want you to see how descriptive it is of Jesus. I want you to see how descriptive this is. It reminds me of Revelation uh, 19, when Jesus, the rider on the white horse, is coming. This depiction of their deliverer reminds me a lot of that. So watch this. Uh, Isaiah 59, verse 16. And he saw that there was no man and was astonished that there was no one to intercede. Then his own arm brought salvation to him. And his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. He put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal as a mantle. According to their deeds, so he will repay. Wrath to his adversaries, recompense to his enemies. To the coastlands he will make recompense so that they will fear the name of the Lord from the west and his glory from the rising of the sun, which is in the east. For he will come like a rushing stream which the wind of the Lord drives and here's our verse a redeemer will come to Zion and to those who turn from transgression in Jacob declares the Lord as for me this is my covenant with them says the Lord my spirit which is upon you and my words which I have put in your mouth shall not depart from your mouth nor from the mouth of your offsprings nor from the mouth of your offsprings offsprings says the Lord from now on forever keep going Arise, shine, for your light has come and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will, will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light and kings to the brightness of your rising. Lift up your eyes round about and see. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons will come from afar. Your daughters will be carried in the arms. Then you will see and be radiant and your heart will thrill and rejoice because the abundance of the sea will be turned to you. The wealth of the nations will come to you. And it continues. This is a coming day. All will be the 99%. So just because I'm ending tonight, this series, um, I just want to give you a timeline real quick. This is just extra. You have the Old Testament. You have Jesus. You have the new covenant, which we're in tonight. But there's coming a day where there will be a seven-year tribulation. 
at the end of that seven years, Jesus will return. And he's returning to Jerusalem. I believe this is the moment that Romans chapter 11, verse 26 is fulfilled. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10 says that they will see the one that they pierced. And it's not just them that pierced, it's all people. But they will have revelation of the one that they pierced and they will see him and know him. Revelation 1, 7 talks about it. Matthew 24, it's like 32, talks about them mourning over the one that they pierced. Because the Lord's gonna draw the nations into a conflict and Jesus is gonna descend as their deliverer. And he's gonna bring justice and righteousness to the earth. And his glory will cover the earth. The knowledge of his glory will cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. That's where this is going, according to my Bible. I told you this is like the deep end, but Daniel chapter 12, verse three. Remember that? I read you Daniel 12, one about the distress that is coming to the nation of Israel. But look at Daniel chapter 12, verse three. This is really an interesting scripture. It says, those who have insight will shine brightly like the brightness of the expanse of the heavens. Um, That's not what my Bible says. Oh yeah, keep going, sorry. And those who lead the many to righteousness like the stars forever. It's the next verse that I wanted to show. But as for you, Daniel, conceal these words. Seal up the book until the end of time. Many will go back and forth and knowledge will increase. Knowledge about what? The end times. And I I just, here's what I believe about millennials and Gen Z in the room is that you're hungry for more. We've popped popcorn and served cotton candy. And I just feel like you're not prepared. And so I'm not apologizing for taking you through something that maybe you only understand 25% of. But man, if you can lay your, if you can just lay hold of that 25% and watch what the Lord does with it, he'll set you on fire. Because listen, our zeal, our interests, our preferences, like he, he loves you. You know, delight in the Lord will give you the desires of your heart. I believe all that. But here's what I think will sustain us in the days ahead. It's his zeal. It's his preferences. It's his perspective. And it's the only one that matters. And I believe the Lord is increasing knowledge about the days ahead because of the conflict that they're not, they're not no longer just on the horizon. They're starting to be right in front of our face from a moral standpoint and also from a geopolitical one. We need to pray for this conflict in in Ukraine, Russia. We just need to pray.